Hey, it's good to be with you on this Mother's Day, and if uh, this is your first time checking us out, so glad that you decided to check out our online experience. I look forward to having the opportunity to meet with you. You might want to grab a, a, a Bible and turn it to the book of 1 Peter, lay that open in your lap, get a note page and a pen, take some notes. As you're doing that, uh, it's kind of fun to be together like this on Mother's Day. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it just seems like to me that all moms went to the same school, right? Uh, because all moms kind of have these things that they say are in common. I just start writing down some of the things that my mom might have said that maybe you hear a lot of moms say. See if any of these uh, are things that you would recognize. Uh, a lot of moms will say this. See if you can recognize this. What part of no don't you understand? Your mom ever say that to you? <clears throat> How about this? Uh, did your mom ever say this? Because I said so. That's why. That's, that's a perfect mom statement. Or I love this one. Wait till your father. I used to hate this. Wait till your father comes home, right? Uh, how about this? No one ever said life is fair. I can remember mom saying that. If everyone jumped off a cliff, would you? Right? Your mom ever say that to you? Uh, I like this. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> I love that, right? How about this one? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I never believed that one. Okay, never believed it. How about this? Did you flush? Did your mom ever say that to you? I love it. I like this one. Your mom ever say this? If you fall out of a tree and break both legs, don't come running to me. <laughs> I love that. And my mom's favorite one was this. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. My mom never said that. But anyways, I, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom. Uh, I know she's watching this. Uh, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you. I love you, Mom. I want to say happy Mother's Day to my wife. Uh, absolutely uh, love you. And uh, also want to say happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law lives with us. And so I'll say happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law as well. And uh, the fact that my mother-in-law lives with us is what makes me so appreciate the guy who wrote the book you have open, First Peter, uh, because this book is written by a real guy. His name's Peter. He was a rough and tumble fisherman, right? Turned into this humble but passionate preacher, and he had himself a mother-in-law. And part of the story of this real guy is this. You can read it in the Gospels, is that one day Peter heals his mother-in-law. Isn't that incredible? Every son-in-law needs that trick in his bag, right? I love that. But he was a real guy. He was writing to real people who really needed some hope, right? That's why we're saying 1 Peter's all about living hope while living here. And so where we're at today is this. We are here on this coronavirus quarantine Mother's Day 2020. And we have our Bibles open to the next section. And I think it's ironic and awesome that we're in the section that we're in in 1 Peter on this Mother's Day. I think it is totally, totally appropriate for us to be here. And we're going to read it here in a second, but you might be asking yourself, well, why in the world are you saying that? Well, the reason I'm saying that is when I'm thinking about moms, you ever notice that when moms get together, they talk about certain things? And I think it's appropriate that we think about this on this Mother's Day. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when moms get together, right, Moms, you know this is real. Sometimes, particularly young moms, when they get together, they like to sit around and talk about birthing stories. You ever notice that, right? I always feel uncomfortable when you walk into that, right? Particularly if uh, my mom's in there and she's talking about my birthing story, right? I mean, it is totally uncomfortable. And yet, a lot of times moms will get together and they'll talk about birthing stories. Here's the deal. We all have one. You have one. <laughs> I have one. If you're part of the human race, you have a story of being born, right? It's something that we all have in common. 
And you know what? The truth of the matter is, one of the things we have in common is this, is that we all kind of came to having life the same way, physically, right? Hang on, just think about that for a second, right? Like there's one way that a baby happens. That's what I'm saying. I remember I was a young pastor one time. I had this, this young gal, she came to my office. She said, Pastor, she was so excited. Pastor Dan, she said, I want to, I'm pregnant. And just almost without thinking, I looked at her and said, how did that happen? <laughs> and she's like wanting to tell me how it happened. I'm like, I know how it happened, right? Because we all have that in common, right? We all have that, that life happens the very same way. That mom, dad, a man and a woman come together and that's how life happens. It is something we all have in common. We all have a birth story. But even though we all have that in common, that we come to have life the same way, think about this. All of our birthing stories are unique and different. You ever hear ladies sitting around talking about it? Like all, every birthing delivery story is unique and different. You hear them talk about it and some of them talk about the fact, well, I had it naturally. I had a C-section. It was hard labor. It was easy labor. Uh, I, I'm somebody who had a home birth. We had a, a birth in the hospital. Uh, I had a land birth, a water birth. I don't know. There's all kinds of different birthing stories that happen. And right about now, because you're feeling uncomfortable if you're sitting with your mom right now, right? You're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with 1 Peter? I have no idea. No, actually I do, and I want to show you, because I think it has a lot to do with 1 Peter. Look at what Peter says in the section we're in. Let's pick it up in verse 22. He says, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, we'll get back to this, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. And here's the trick. For you have been born again. And then he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Here's what Peter wants us to see today on this Mother's Day. Let's just make it quick. Two questions in this whole passage we're going to see. You and I have a birthing story. Physically, we have a birthing story. It's one thing we have in common, Peter is saying. But Peter says there is a more important question that I need to ask on this Mother's Day. And here's the question. You ought to write it down. Do I have a rebirthing story? Because that's what Peter's talking about. Peter is talking about a spiritual rebirth, being born again. He began his letter this way. Do you remember we talked about this? In verse 3 of chapter 1, Peter says this. Peter in verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, didn't do anything to accomplish it. It was his mercy. He has given us what? New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what he's saying. On this Mother's Day, 2020, I need to ask myself, do I have a rebirth story? Have I got a story of being born again spiritually? All of us, here's what I want you to hear me say, all of us have a physical birth story. Now listen, not all of us have a rebirth story yet. Some of you watching this don't have that yet. And so you might be saying, well, Dan, how do I know? What does that mean? What does it mean to have a rebirth story? Well, I think Peter tells us this. And the, the, the whole idea of our birthing story gives us an illustration or an example. 
You see, what it means is this. When it comes to my rebirth story, I would write this down. All rebirth stories have one thing in common. They have one thing in common. Here's what I mean by that. Common terminology, particularly back at this point in time, would have been this. That they would have used the terminology that we are born of the seed of whoever our father is. That's common terminology they would have used, right? And so Peter wants you and I to see that our physical birth came because two people came together to form you. Two people came together to form me. Two people came together to form me, and I was physically born from two perishing people that came together to produce me a perishing person. It's kind of weird to say it this way, but physically, I am perishing in front of you as I speak. Literally. Like, like I'm fading, right? Like, like I'm getting older. There's things that hurt I didn't know I have. I lost my hair. I can barely see without these, right? I am literally fading. Why? Because I was born, I was born as a result of two perishing people coming together. I was born of perishable seed. What Peter is saying is this, when it comes to spiritual birth, when it comes to this new birth, it comes as a result of imperishable seed. And the imperishable seed is something that this book talks about. It's why he says this, you've been born again, not of perishable seed. This rebirth is not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, not fading seed through the living and enduring word of God. Peter wants us to see that this book, that the word of God is living and enduring, and this book points to something called the gospel, and it produces in us a living and enduring hope. Here's the way I would say it. I want this to make sense to you. I want you to understand this. When the spirit of God takes the word of God it points to the gospel or good news of God, which is all about the Son of God. I'm going to say it again. When the Word of God, the living, enduring Word of God, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, it points to the good news of God, which is all about the Son of God. And that message is this imperishable seed that produces in us a living hope. Why? How does it do that? Because that message is all about the Son of God perishing in my place for my sin. He literally perished, died for my sin, everything I'm guilty of. They buried him. He rose again. He defeated death, sin, and Satan. And he's alive. And the minute I say yes to Jesus and what this book is all about, to Jesus and the good news of God, the minute I place my faith in him, here's what he is saying. I'm born again. I have a rebirthing story. You see, for some of you, you need to know this. The gospel isn't about good people getting better. The gospel is not even about bad people being reformed. Did you know that? That might be a surprise to some of you. That's not the gospel. That's not the story of God. It's not about good people getting better, bad people being reformed. You know what the gospel is? It's about dead people coming alive. It's about rebirth. 
It's about being born again. You see, all of us, somewhere inside of us, know that we're dead. That's why we look for ways to be reborn. You can get on the internet and see this. 30 days to a new you. I just saw this today. You can have a new you by Friday. Sign me up, right? I mean, reinvent yourself, all that kind of stuff. We try to find ways to, to be reborn because we know there's something that has died inside of us. The problem is many of the ways we try to reinvent ourselves, to, to experience this rebirth, are, are things that fade. It's why Peter says this. He says, all people are like grass in their glory. The things that they put their, their faith and trust in, it, it, it's like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. What he's saying is that sometimes we can trust in things that fade. For some of you, maybe that's what, where you're at. Like, I want to reinvent me, and somehow I'm going to trust in people's approval of me. And you know that that fades. For some of us, it's all about our athletic prowess, you know, and I'm going to trust in that. Maybe you're younger watching this. I'm going to tell you somebody older, that fades. For some of us, it's all about the way we look. And I'm going to find a new me, and so we're going to trust in kind of making our face look different, our body look different, our hair, if we have it, look different, right? It all fades. For some of us, it's money. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reinvent me, and it's, it fades. Success, it fades. Listen, I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you. For some of us, I'm going to reinvent myself by becoming religious, fades. In fact, one of the most popular conversations in the Bible was when Jesus had a conversation with a really religious man. He was more religious than you and me put together. His name was Nicodemus. He knew more about the Bible than you, me, and a bunch of other people put together. He was religious, followed the rules strictly. And he came to Jesus and says, what do I got to do to see and enter the kingdom of God? What do I got to do? That's what religious people ask. What do I got to do? And Jesus said this. You know what you got to do? You must be born again. It's the only way. It's the one thing we all have in common. You see, it's the one thing that won't fade. And he looks at this religious guy and he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Mom and dad came together. There you got physical. But the spirit gives birth to that which is spiritual. Spiritual rebirth only happens when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, which points to the Gospel of God, which is all about the Son of God, and that message takes root in my life. Now, that's the one thing we all have in common, but, but rebirth is similar to our physical birth this way. All rebirth, I would write it this way, stories are distinctly individual and unique. They're all distinctly individual and unique. Yours might be different than mine, which might be different than the person next to you. Some of you, your rebirth story happened when you were a kid. In fact, statistics say this, 80%, this is interesting to me, 80% of the people who are followers of Christ made that decision to say yes to Jesus before they were age 13, I think it is, right? Parents, what an incredible opportunity. The kids are really open to the good news of Jesus, what an incredible opportunity to talk to them about things that matter. That's why we value students and kids here at Grace Church. 
And for some of you, that's when your rebirth story happened. I was five and, and a Sunday school teacher in Bible camp, my mom and dad, you know. Others of you, it happened as an adult. You remember the minute it happened. It was the first time you ever heard it. You walked an aisle. You went to a service. For some of you, it happened in private and it was unexpected. You're like, man, I didn't even see that coming. For some of you, it was in the middle of a crisis. I have met people who it happened in a jail cell. For some of you, that's you. That's your story. Our stories are different. For some, it seemed easy. It was kind of like easy labor. For some, it seemed harder. Yet, I want to tell you something. No matter whether it was as a kid or an adult, whether it seemed easy or hard, all are equally amazing, even though uniquely different. And all, your story is equally, listen close, equally miraculous, and it took the same sacrifice of Jesus in order for you to experience that rebirth. All of our stories are different. I love hearing your stories. I love when you send me your stories of rebirth. And you know what I know? Some of you don't have that story yet. Some of you don't have a rebirth story. What if coronavirus, quarantine Mother's Day, 2020, was the day of your story? Right there, wherever you're at watching this, in your lazy boy kitchen table, wherever you're watching this, taking a walk, just listening, today can be the day of your rebirth story. You can talk to God. Say, God, I believe what this book says, that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die for me. He died in my place for my sin. And I believe he's alive. And today I'm saying yes to Jesus as my savior and the leader of my life. And there's your rebirth story. Welcome to the family. You've been born again. I'd love to hear if you had that conversation with God. You see, Peter's saying, do I have a rebirth story? But then he goes on. In chapter two, he says, therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like, there's our words, newborn babies. You're born again. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this imagery. I don't know. I love it. Has anybody ever noticed, have you noticed this, that when a baby comes into this world, they come in hungry? Like they come in hungry, like they're craving something. And, and the only thing, that, what they want, they have in their mind what they want. They know exactly what it is they want. They want one thing from one person. <laughs> That's what they want. They're craving it. And getting that food is of utmost importance. It's another thing moms talk about, right? Moms talk about this kind of thing. Uh, when, when you kind of sneak up on mom's like, what was your baby's birth weight? You know, how much do they weigh now? How, how, wh what's their dimensions? What percentile are they? Moms can even get competitive about this, right? You know, what percentile is your baby in? 50th percentile, right? Or 75th percentile or 30th percentile, whatever it might be. And, and what happens is when a baby, there's a terminology that we use when a baby is not eating like they should. 
And you know the, the terminology. Maybe you've heard it. It's called failure to thrive, right? Uh, I have a friend, and some of you would know this name. He is a pastor of our, our county line campus, and uh, it's a rural campus, right? And so he's out in farmland, and he was telling me a story. Uh, he and his family went out and bought three baby piglets. I'm like, good for you, man. That's awesome. Uh, and he's got a, a bunch of kids and some beautiful children and some young uh, daughters. And so he's got these, these piglets, and he's going to raise them so that they have meat. And I said, well, are you nervous, you know, that your kids are going to get attached to them? Your daughters are going to fall in love with these little piglets, right? I mean, you're going to have struggle slaughtering these pigs. And, and he said, I think we'll be fine. He said, actually, we, we, we named the three pigs. And I said, well, tell me the names of the three pigs, because that might be even more endearing. He said, we named them ham, bacon, and sausage, right? But then he said this, he said, ham and bacon are doing well, but sausage is failing to thrive right? What's he saying? Sausage isn't eaten, right? The little piglet's not eaten, and so it's failing to thrive. You see, that's all Peter's getting at here. Honestly, the Bible, sometimes we make it too hard, and he says, I have a second question. Not just what is your rebirthing story, but the second question is this, am I growing? If I've been born again, am I growing, or am I failing to thrive? Peter's saying this, I want you to get this. He's saying the same word, Grab your Bible. He said, the same word that contains the seed that gives me life is the same word that contains the food that grows my life. That's what he's saying. He said, the same place. Babies grow and they thrive because they eat food that satisfies. Otherwise, they fail to thrive. I love that imagery. He says, if a baby doesn't eat, it never grows up which is great imagery because the truth of the matter is, right? I'm not trying to be Christian, but, but sometimes Christians, Christ followers, don't grow up. That's what Peter's saying. And so what's true about a little kid who doesn't want to grow up sometimes becomes true, spiritually speaking, about people who would call themselves Christians. You ever, I just wrote some things down. You ever think about some things that are true about kids? Kids are unstable in their emotions. You, you notice that? If you've got little kids, you know this, right? They can go from laughter to crying in a matter of minutes, right? I mean, it's like a ping pong ball, right? Many times Christians, we're like that, right? The slightest thing upsets us. We go from being on top of the world one minute, overflowing with love of God, and then boom, something happens. It's like, all is lost. We become unstable in our emotions. Or, or, or what about this? Little kids can be insecure, you ever see a little kid when his mom leaves the room? Becomes insecure, right? Separation anxiety. Sometimes when a Christian doesn't grow up, all of a sudden what happens is we become insecure. Insecure about the goodness and the promises of God. We have short attention spans. How about this? You ever know this with little kids? They're very possessive. You ever notice that? If you've got little kids, you know this, right? You know what their favorite word is? Mine, Right? I, I, it's mine. And, and you as a dad or a mom, you might look, stop and share. And they kind of look at you and say, you know something, mom? The quality of my life depends on me having this toy, right? And sometimes Christians that don't grow up are like that. We're possessive. And, and if we don't have what we want when we want it and how we want it, all of a sudden we're like, my life. How about this? Sometimes... We don't grow up, and just like a little kid, little kids can be gullible. I was reading this, another guy I was listening to this week, a podcast he was doing, 
he brought up this Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. You ever probably recognize or know about that? And he was talking about this one where this kid was talking with his dad and literally uh, Calvin asked his dad, Dad, where does the sun go at night? Dad says to Calvin, it sets in the west. Calvin says, where in the west? Dad says, somewhere near Phoenix. That's why it's so hot over there. Calvin says, well, how does it get back in the morning? <laughs> Dad says, a, a U-Haul truck brings it back overnight. The next little frame is this. Calvin goes to mom. I can't wait to be as smart as dad. Isn't that awesome, right? What's the point there? And sometimes kids can be gullible. You know what happens when Christians don't grow up? You know what happens? They become gullible. That's what Paul's saying. I just want to talk, I just want to talk as one of your pastors. Like, when I don't grow up spiritually, I become gullible. I hear a powerful speaker, and he must be saying the truth. He was entertaining. I, I hear this incredible story. I read this book about this, whatever, and it must be. And I become gullible. And Paul says, be careful. Don't be like a little child blown here and there by every doctrine or wind of teaching. That's what he says. You see, that's all Peter wants us to see is that babies who don't eat, they don't thrive. And you know what happens? They become hangry. You know the word hangry, right? I mean, I have a little grandson. When he was just an infant, if he didn't get his food when he wanted it, you know what? He lets you know. He lets you know about it. And that's why Peter wants us to ask this question. He went, am I spiritually satisfied or am I spiritually hangry? You gotta write that down. Are you spiritually satisfied or are you spiritually hangry? What Peter is saying is that spiritual satisfaction comes from the word of God, from the words of God, that literally the word of God contains not only the seed that gives me life, but that grows my life. Well, how do I do that? Can I give you, can, can we just take a little minute for me to give you some, some practical suggestions you ought to write down? How do I get spiritually satisfied? from the food that is the word of God, this pure spiritual milk? Well, first I would say this. I would ask myself the question, what's my plan to eat daily? Do you have a plan to eat daily? Do you have a plan to every day? I think about it with my grandson. When he would get hungry and, and he would let me know it, never once did I look at him and say, you know something, Corbin? It's Monday and I don't think we're gonna eat today. We're going to wait till Thursday. I didn't say that. I think spiritually speaking, that becomes a really practical, tangible thing for me. What's my daily? Some of you are like, I've never done that. Well, then why don't you start? Take five minutes. Grab a book of the Bible. John, James. And say, I'm going to spend five minutes. I'm going to read five verses, a chapter. But what's my daily diet? What's my spiritual daily diet? Which leads to the second question that I would ask. Who am I sitting down to eat with? You know what makes meals at our house a lot of fun? Like we eat on the run sometimes, but every night we sit down together and eat. And I think the same thing true about God's word, that I learn with others. And you know something? That's when all of a sudden, not only is it enjoyable, I think there's great benefit. I think there's great benefit from sitting down with others and saying, what is God teaching me through his word? And then I think there's a third question, and that's this. The third question that I ask is, am I enjoying 
some prepared meals. Am I enjoying some prepared meals? He's like, what's that? Well, that's kind of what we're doing here, right? Every week, myself, Pastor Aiden, Pastor Adams, whoever's preaching, we prepare, we cook, so to speak, a meal, and that we want to serve. This isn't the only place you can get some good prepared meals, right? But, but when it comes to thriving and growing, I think what Peter's saying is, I gotta ask, am I spiritually hangry? Or am I spiritually satisfied? Because spiritually satisfied followers of Jesus experience life different. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me show you two things and we're done. Peter says this. Rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. I want to grow up. My salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. If you've been spiritually reborn, you've tasted the goodness of God and his grace. And what he is saying is that same goodness is the goodness that you grow up to appreciate, gain an appetite for, keep coming back for. I would write it down this way. Spiritually satisfied people experience the goodness of God in all circumstances. Just, I know, just write it down. I, there can be a hard part to that. I think the truth is this, and I think you'll agree with me if, if we just think about it. We can tend to forget God or take him for granted when things are good and then blame him and get frustrated at him when things are rough. It's just the truth. We can take him for granted when things are good and we can blame him or maybe get frustrated at him when things aren't going our way. Peter says, when you crave and are spiritually satisfied by this pure spiritual milk, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. That it will create in you an appetite and an experience to say that God's goodness isn't dependent, listen close, on how I interpret circumstances, it's dependent on his unchanging character. And what Peter's doing here, you may not know this, he's borrowing from the Old Testament. Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I already know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that's a piece of cake if everything's great. But that's verse 8, Psalm 34. Can I read the verses around it real quick? Verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 2, Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Verse 4, he's the one who delivered me from the things I'm afraid of. Verse 17, he delivers the righteous from their troubles, and they will have troubles. Verse 18, taste and see that the Lord is good because the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Peter's not writing to people who are having a good time. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Growing up, being spiritually satisfied is experiencing and appreciating and creating and craving and understanding the goodness of God in all circumstances. There's a second thing, and I want you to write it down this way. Spiritually satisfied people are free to love others sincerely and deeply. We have to go back to chapter 1 to see where he's getting this. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. 
It's interesting here. Because you are born again, the family trait is love. That's what he's saying. And the words he uses are interesting. This word for love and this word for love are two different words. This is the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. This is the word agape, this enduring, committed, I'm going to stick with you kind of love. The word sincere comes from a Latin word, right? comes from a Latin word. It literally means without cracks. What he's saying is when you grow up, you can love each other without hidden agendas. You can love each other without hidden agendas in a way that's committed to each other, that endures an agape type of love. Early church author named Tertullian said this, See how they love one another and how ready they are to die for one another. He's talking about people who were born again. You see, it begs the question too many times... People don't necessarily look and say, see how they love one another. They might say, see how they criticize one another. See how they fight with one another. See how they talk about one another. See how they take advantage of one another. Why is that? Why is it that too many times people see that instead? Listen, you want to know why I think it is? It's because there are a lot of Christians, you might be one, who are not spiritually satisfied. You know what they are? They're spiritually hangry. And you know this. When you are hangry, I'm not thinking about how to help somebody else. I just want what I want. Because there's a hole getting burnt in, the, in my belly. And so I want what I want. And when it comes to me being spiritually hangry, I'm not free to think about others. You know why? Because all I can think about is me. It's why Peter says this in verse 1, rid yourselves of malice. You know what that is? It is this evil disposition and bitterness that I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe they got away with this. I'm going to make sure they pay all kinds of deceit. You know what that is? I'm going to fraud somebody else in order to gain an advantage. Hypocrisy. I want to impress you because I'm afraid to show you who I really am. Envy. I'm jealous for what you have and who you are. Slander. I'm going to cut you down. You know why? So that I can build me up. You see, when I'm spiritually hangry, that's what happens. All of a sudden, I'm not free to love others. Peter says when you and I are spiritually satisfied, we're free to love each other. Makes sense to me that Peter would say this. Because he was there on the night when Jesus said this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this? Do you have a rebirthing story? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? If not, why not Mother's Day 2020? Can I ask you this? If you have said yes to Jesus, are you growing up or failing to thrive? Are you spiritually satisfied or are you spiritually hangry? Are you experiencing the goodness of God in increasing measure? And are you free to love others? Father, my prayer is this, is that you would help us to 
see the goodness that you invite us into that comes in this rebirth. And I pray for my friends who've never experienced that, that today, Mother's Day 2020, might be the day they say yes to Jesus. God, there's a whole bunch of people watching this that have said yes to Jesus, but they're failing to thrive. And I pray that this 2020 might be the chance where they say, I want to crave pure spiritual milk so that I might grow up, experience the goodness of God in all situations, and be free to love without hidden agenda in a pure and enduring way. God, I'm so grateful that you love us. And Father, my prayer is this, is that our church would be full of spiritual babies in a spiritual nursery, people who are reborn, and that our church would be full of people who are growing up in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.